said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And uh, wow, we have um, a lot going on these days with regard to uh, politics in the world. And, um, you know, the thing is, there seems to be a, a groundswell of conservatives winning things. Um you know, we saw these Palestinian uh, uh, uprisings and protests in the streets. And and we also, unfortunately, we saw these two standards of justice, not just here in the United States, but also in the UK. Come to think of it, actually, that's happening everywhere that a Klaus Schwab puppet exists. So everywhere, you know, there's the World Economic Forum influence in penetrating the cabinet. You see this wokeism. And this woke, woke, woke BS is is uh, where we see two standards of justice. We see Soros DAs. We see these frivolous indictments of former presidents and we see incarcerated protesters because they complained about election rigging and fraud. We're starting to learn more and more about election fraud as we kind of do a, uh, you know, uh, a research on a forensic study of the 2020 and 2022 elections I mean, at some point, we are going to find out the truth. I'm sure of it. But we have to avoid getting arrested. We have to avoid getting censored. We have to avoid being deplatformed just to find the truth. I mean, just to ask the question. So we have the weaponization of government that's doing their work. We have the uh, the commit the judicial 
Judiciary Committee that's subpoenaing the Bionic crime family. I listened to Jim Jordan over the weekend, and I'm, I'm still a little, you know, words. I want more than words. I want to get to the bottom of the, of, of the Biden crime family. I want someone to be held accountable. But looking at some of these protests, there was a protest in Madrid, Spain over the weekend that was just huge. Over a million people showed up in Madrid, Spain. And they were, they were basically protesting these. It was an anti-Semitic protest. So they were protesting the Semitism of the, you know, of the, uh, basically all the Democrats that support Hamas are behaving like anti-Semites. Or, I mean, behaving like, they're practicing Semitism. And intolerance. You know, this whole river to the sea thing, you know, river to the sea and we've talked about it. ISIL versus ISIS. In Levant versus in Sham. This has been coded language since the Obama years. Obama has really been the divider in chief for a long time. Stoking the flames of racism and Semitism and pushing radical woke agendas. Empowering and weaponizing the Department of Education to indoctrinate your children. And that's what they're doing with the uh, trannies and, and the LBGTQ community and all that. You're trying to indoctrinate your children all in the name of climate, figuring if you can't have children, one way or the other, we'll shoot you with a vaccine to lower your fertility or we'll give you foods with bioengineer substances in it that will impact your fertility. If we can't do it the peaceful way of ruining your fertility, we'll kill you with a vaccine, with a myocarditis or accelerated cancers. I mean, the stuff that they're putting in our foods and, and the, uh, you know, there's just, there's a reason why it is that since the FDA got involved, since the, since the 70s, when they do sperm count testing, and sperm counts less today than it ever was, there's got to be a reason for that. Maybe it's sugar. Maybe it's our own lack of discipline. Maybe it's the fact that we're less physical. It could be a lot of things. But it also could be that Bill Gates has invested heavily in bioengineered foods and vaccines. And the globalists have supported it because the pharmaceutical companies got billions and distributed their money toward a political agenda of a one world order, a new world order, a power structure elite that doesn't respect elections at all. And wherever the State Department and wherever the CIA and wherever USAID can finance or uh, kill off leaders that have potential, they will do it. We know that Victoria Nuland from the State Department meddled in the Ukrainian elections 
back in 2014. And now you got some puppet from the globalist agenda like Zelensky begging for cash, promising to pay you Tuesday for a missile today. Borrowing. If you don't want to give us the money, then we'll borrow it and pay you back. Sounding like a desperate coke addict, which I think applies to Vladimir Zelensky. Who came out the winner in that relation in that PR campaign? You know, I mean, it's pretty sad when when we come to a day when you got someone like Vladimir Putin looking like the good guy, and someone like Zelensky, a former comedian, looking like the doofus. And here we are in another war in the Middle East. The world is on fire. Inflation everywhere. We're about to experience a CPI index, consumer price index. And it's probably going to be a little flat. It'll be an interesting number. If it comes out like a point higher than expected, expect the market to sell off. And if it comes back a little lower, they're, they're going to have some hope. But frankly, I think it's going to come back favorable to making the Fed look good, but it's smoke and mirrors. The one thing you'll find about the CPI is it's it's impacted by housing and energy. And housing is flat right now. And oil, uh, the price at the pump is lowering. And you're like, wow, how did that happen? How does that happen when the barrel, the price per barrel is $90 a barrel? How does that happen? Well, we're going to find out here today. Then there's some new VB talk for Donald Trump, and it could very well be Tucker Carlson. That's interesting news. I'd... I'd, I'd Bet on that ticket. Yeah, last week we talked about Nancy Mace from South Carolina. But this week, there's some new indicators that could be that uh, Donald Trump decides to pick Tucker Carlson. All right, so we're going to start off with finance. We're going to get to some woke issues. I'm talking about Ted Cruz's new book, Unwoke. And we're also going to play some audio uh, related to Donald Trump being interested in picking out Tucker Carlson as a VP. So let's start with gas prices. Why are gas prices lowering? Gas prices are falling even with oil nearing $90 a barrel, which, if you can recall, during the Trump years, during the Trump years, they were... um, the oil, the price per barrel of oil, I think, came down to almost. I think there was, uh, there was a low of like thirty-seven dollars a barrel, to give you a, like some perspective. But gas prices are falling, even with oil nearing ninety dollars a barrel, making a typical fall decline. Uh, marking, okay, marking, not making, marking a typical fall decline. So every fall, oil prices go lower. 
I'm not sure. So I'm not sure why, but I'm about to give you an answer. So it's typical of a fall decline. So the natural thing of the fourth quarter being a lower quarter for oil is one of the reasons why the CPI is not going to reflect a higher number than it otherwise probably would is that. And it's interesting, but a typical fall decline due to a switch to a less expensive winter blend driving fuel and lower seasonal demand. I guess people drive less in the snow. This, along with stagnant housing market, will flatten the inflation markers. Housing has a huge impact on inflation markers, as does oil or energy. So it's kind of good that um, oil prices and energy prices are, are going to go lower. We're starting to see some lower prices in the markets, possibly because of uh, less demand, but... Uh, there's also some new reports that indicate that uh, credit card debt is really up high. And, uh, and there's some other indicators, too. So let's take a look at this, um, this, this uh, particular story that I have going on here. All right, so one was gas prices. And for some reason, I doubled that up. Um, here's another one. Interesting component to the looming housing prices. Okay, so this guy, um, a lefty, I think, but no matter. So this this person writes um, that they don't expect a housing crisis in 2024, and here's the reason. 60% of homes have a mortgage of 4% or less. That's because everybody was benefiting from this low interest rate mortgage rate, right? So everybody was getting in at 3 to 4%, 5% maybe. And so the average was, you know, about 4%, which is extraordinarily low when you compare it to other times. That's probably thanks to Trump because everybody was get buying those houses at that low interest rate. Now interest rates are 8% thanks to Joe Biden and Biden economics. But that hasn't had time to hit yet because people aren't buying houses with 8% interest. They, they're they like, it was just 4% a minute ago. So they're, they're, they don't want to buy the house at 8%. And because, because the housing prices are lagging behind in terms of dropping, they're not dropping because nobody's selling their houses. Nobody's getting out of this market to get into a high, higher interest market. That's number one. Number two, the corporate portfolios of the corporate buyers of real estate, uh, they decided to, they're just now starting to reconsider and relinquish their portfolio into the market. And they know that as soon as they do that, it's going to flood the market with a lot of housing opportunities and it's going to drive the price down. So they're still holding on like a bull market. You know, they're, they're not uh, liquidating just yet, but they might have to. So you're going to start to see in 2024 more inventory in the housing market, 
but still not enough to really lower the prices on housing. So if, here's, the, here's the numbers that this guy has. 60% of homes have a mortgage of 4% or less. That's a lot. And 38% of homes in the U.S. are paid off. That's like the elderly. You know, the people, older people usually have their houses paid off. So the house, 38% paid off, 60% paying less than 4%. So the thing is, is the housing market's going to stay stagnant for about another year. But sooner or long, people are going to have to move and, you know, they're going to start, you're going to start to see housing prices drop. But where a lot of people thought that that would happen in 2024, because of the health and strength of the market prior to Biden, it's able to ride, at, ride, ride out the Biden years to a certain degree um, because the markets were so strong that they could ride them out and uh, rest on you know, their, their locked-in 4% interest rate. So new buyers that can pay for the whole enchilada, the whole nut right, that, right up front, and just buy the house outright, will be the benefactors of the high interest rate markets, particularly after, if they wait a year and the prices start to drop, then they can get the bargains that they're looking for. So that's uh, kind of an interesting little thing right there. Um. I'm just going down the uh, list of things I have queued up. This was in, so. This was interesting. Um, they're also talking about the job markets and inflation causing um, some problems in the job markets, and they're expecting. See what's happening is um, there was this number, and the number was. Well, okay, this is also housing right here, but then I'm going to get into this other number. I think it was something like uh, $1.7 trillion. I have to get that. I'm going to get pull this number up. But right now I want to talk about Bidenomics. Black Knight, November 2023 mortgage monitor to get back to long-run affordability levels would require some combination of a 4.4% decline in 30-year rates or a 62% rise in median household income, or a 38% decline in the medium home price in order for things to, to normalize. And that's not going to happen. None of that's going to happen. They also said that um, the uh, there was this um, financial report, and I'm going to try to find it. I... Uh, I actually don't I don't think I can right off the top of my oh, right here. Let's try this. Yeah, this was it. Consumers are about to run out of their excess savings. Okay, this is a big this is a kind of a big deal right here. This is all new data that just came out from Finance Yahoo Finance. And this was this was the story I was looking for that I couldn't find, but I found it. Chart of the day, the extra money people save during COVID is almost gone. All right. This is going to be another factor that's going to probably help inflation 
because they're not going to have money to spend. But when they stop spending money, it's going to actually cost a lot of people jobs because if people don't buy, then what's the, you know, then people aren't going to need to produce. So that's the, that's kind of the theory there, right? So it says here, consumers are about to run out of their excess savings, which will deflate spending, crush the job market, escalate home foreclosures and auto repossessions. Excess savings peaked in August 2021 at $2.1 trillion. Okay? This is according to Yahoo Finance. Excess savings peaked in August of 2021 at $2.1 trillion. Consumer excess savings is currently down to just $148 billion. And they expect that that's going to run dry sometime in December to, to January. Now, when that happens, people are going to be broke. Already, for the first time ever, credit card debt in America has reached over a trillion dollars. So people are underwater. They're in debt um, because of the inflation. Now, this might have a positive impact in lowering inflation and cause prices to drop as people spend less. But people are going to be hurting is my problem and my point. How how that impacts the 2024 election, I think, is not going to bode well for Joe Biden, who's way down in the polls across the board, yet his Gestapo police are still going after Trump and indicting Trump, which is absolutely insane. But that's a scary number. This one right here is a big biggie. People running out, so people are going to run out of money. They're not going to spend, they're, they're, they're not going to go out to dinner, they're not going to buy anything. And that's going to cause the job market to collapse. Because, you know, and so it'll be interesting to see what kind of spending happens this Christmas season, this holiday season. Whether that spending is going to be flat. So pay attention to that. That might be the last hurrah, but uh, but the first quarter of 2024 is not looking too bright for consumer spending. So keep your eyes on that to see, you know, if that if the Christmas spending is a marker or not. All right. So. Yeah, when the guy said 60% homes have mortgage of 4% or less or 38% of homes uh, in the U.S. are paid off, I said interesting component to the looming housing prices, uh, to looming housing prices, uh, but will slow the inevitable but not avoid it. A delayed housing crisis is coming. But delayed, and, you know, frankly... I don't really know how delayed. All right, so we have a story here about some someone is deleting vaccine injury cases from a U.S. military database. This is a little scary. So we're going to take a listen to this, and then we have some really interesting stuff that we're going to comment on with regard to wokeism. That's a, that's a name that I coined 
I use it in my tweets and stuff, wokeism. Every time, I think it's a fake word because every time I type it, there's a little red line that goes underneath it, suggesting it's a misspelled word, but it makes sense for me to use it, so I'm going to use it. My name is Lee Dundas. I'm a human rights attorney that's working with Tom Rents on the whistleblower issue in the military. In August, when the report was run on acute myocarditis in the DOD website, there were 1,239 cases, and now when you run it, it's down to 307. In January of 2022, there were 176 cases, and magically, they are now down to 17. There is a word for that. It's not suspicious. We have in the military the single best data set we, that exists because we have baselines in there. And acute disease across all categories in the preceding years, five years leading up to the vaccination year, was 1.7 million. They introduced and mandated a COVID-19 vaccine for our U.S. military when they had only lost 12 service members total to the disease. And in the 10 months of 2021 after that, it jumped from 1.7 million all diseases to darn near 22 million. That was a 20 million increase. We need to not be calling this suspicious. With all due respect, we need to be asking hard questions of the DOD. So there appears to be doctoring of the data. And yeah, that's uh, that's what it looks like. And not only that, but here's the thing too. So they were forcing people to take these vaccines, right? Like the military and government employees and everybody they they could control. And they were forcing them to do it. And not only was that good for Pfizer to profit from that. And again, Anderson Cooper gets twelve. 10 million of his 12 million salary comes from directly from Pfizer to push and pedal and carry the water for Pfizer propaganda who sits at the top of the board or the food chain at the World Economic Forum in Davos every single year pushing a radical uh, totalitarian agenda but what's interesting is now Pfizer bought the patents for myocarditis and heart ailments and cancer treatments. So they caused this problem and then they buy the product that would actually be useful for treating the problem that the vaccines that they profited from created. I like them apples. I mean, it's just so cruel. And so it's like worse than Hitler when you think about it. These people walk around like they're dignified. They're monsters. So here, this was really great. Uh, this is great news. Um, Marsha Blackburn made a lot of news last week saying this. We're going to take a listen to this. Her publisher. You clearly don't want to talk about that one either. So I have filed an amendment issuing a subpoena to Justice Sotomayor's staff who helped to sell her books as well as to her book publisher so we can fully understand the backstory of these deals. And since we're in the business of issuing subpoenas now, here are a few more that I've filed. A subpoena to Jeffrey Epstein's estate 
to provide the flight logs for his private plane. Given the numerous allegations of human trafficking and a sexual abuse surrounding Mr. Epstein, I think it is very important that we identify everybody that was on that plane and how many trips they took on that plane and the destinations to which they arrived. I've also filed a subpoena authorizing Secretary Becerra to come before this committee and explain to us how HHS and the Office of Refugee Resettlement has lost track of 85,000 children. In addition, I filed a subpoena to compel the Biden DOJ to provide all documentation about their disastrous decision to terminate the successful China initiative. That was a program that was critical to targeting and prosecuting Chinese spies in America. Next, we've got to get to the bottom of the far left's effort to take down President Trump. That's why I've filed a subpoena for all documents relating to any political donations and participation by Special Counsel Robert Mueller's staff. And let's talk about the two tiers of justice that we're all seeing in the Biden administration. This administration loves to talk about misinformation, but they clearly have the goal of censoring conservative speech online. In the latest example of this, DOJ, on behalf of the FTC, filed a privacy and securities practices suit against Twitter. So I think we need to get to the bottom of President Biden's efforts to silence Elon Musk. That's why I filed a subpoena to compel DOJ and the FTC to provide all documents related to the investigation of Elon Musk. So, Mr. Chairman, I think there are real issues that we should be talking about, social media and the way it's destroying our kids' lives. Wall Street Journal has an article in on this today. Our southern border is wide open. It is a vulnerability. The president's administration has lost track of 85,000 children. The world is on fire. But what you have chosen to do is to launch an assault on the legitimacy of the Supreme Court. If you want to take up our time and go there, Mr. Chairman, we can all go there. I think this is a sad day for this committee and for the confidence that the American people would like to have in our institution and in this prestigious committee. Thank you, Senator. Um, when I recognized you, I didn't know what subject you wished to speak to. As I announced at the beginning, the first thing we'll consider the two judicial nominations. Then we will move to the subpoena. They don't like they don't like those subpoenas, especially the Jeffrey Epstein subpoenas, right? So that'll be interesting. All right. So talk, talk, we told you about uh, Trump contemplating Tucker Carlson. He walks into UFC 295 over the weekend just like a rock star. Everybody's taking his photos. There's cool music going on. There's a lot of testosterone in the room. Everybody's ready for a fight. 
and he's walking in with Don Jr. He's walking in with Tucker Carlson. He's walking in with Kid Rock, like a like a bad bad man. You know what I mean? I mean, he just looks like a boss when he walks in. His swagger, and of course, he's walking in with Dana White, and it's just such a atmosphere. You know, so much energy. He's in his element. And you know, you just want, you know, there's just no way this guy lost to Joe Biden, right? And so you get all of that. And then people are starting to talk because what happened at the Octagon in Madison Square Garden in New York, by the way, his town, even though they're suing him and indicting him, and you got that nudie, uh, Judge Nudie, they call him, you know, ju- the new judge, the guy that takes selfies naked and puts them up on his high school reunion website, Judge Erdogan, whatever his name is. I mean, what a whack job. Yellow teeth, you know, weird looking, clown drummer, former taxi cab driver. And now judge, it's going to determine the fate, uh, but he's not really because he's going to lose on appeal. They're also filing motions this week, today and tomorrow. They're filing motions for a mistrial because it turns out that Judge Nudie, the new judge in the New York indictment uh, that Letitia James is putting out, is not only a radical liberal, but his wife is trashing Donald Trump in social media and saying he should be locked up. His wife. I mean, this is a clown show, right? Absolute clown show. So, but there was talk, um, and so this was with Clay Travis last week and Buck Sexton, where they um, basically got this out of Trump. And then Trump shows up with Tucker Carlson, his son, Kid Rock, and Dana White at UFC 295 on Saturday night. Would you consider Tucker Carlson on your VP list? I want to give you a hypothetical here. You're a big sports fan. You know, like Nick Saban's going to retire at some point. And if you talk to the athletic director at Alabama, he would say he has a list. So would Tucker Carlson be on your list of potential VPs and how many names might be on that list as you sit and look and survey the political field? Well, first of all, you know, I did my first, uh, you could call it counter-programming, but I, I won't call it that. But uh, Tucker wanted to do an interview during the first debate. And I think you know, because this is what your business is, we broke every record. Monster audience. In history, yeah. I think it just hit over 300 million people. But it was for that evening, over 207 million it then got to 275 within a day or two. And the biggest ever was Oprah's interview with Michael Jackson, which was 125 million. So we almost doubled it. Now, who would have thought that was going to happen? The debate, the last debate they had, had the lowest audience in the history of presidential debates. I don't know if you know it. And I think the one tonight is not, it's on tonight. And yeah. I don't even well, talk about it. Would you consider it's, it's Tucker, though, that they based on the. I like Tucker a lot. I guess I would. I think I'd say I would because. He's got great common sense. You know, when they say that you guys are conservative or I'm conservative, it's not that we're conservative. We have common sense. We want to have 
safe borders. We want to have a wall because walls work. You know what, Ron, I used to say about walls? I'd say wheels and walls. Everything changes. Uh, the computer that you have in front of you in about a month from now will be totally obsolete. Right now you have the finest equipment in the world. And in about a month from now, that equipment will be obsolete. The only two things for centuries that's not obsolete are wheels and walls, right? <laughs> so, good. No, when you think about yeah. it, right? It yeah. wheels, a wheel will always be a wheel. It's never going to change. And a wall will always be a wall. And, and walls work. work. And, no, no, walls work. Remember when they were saying they were walls saying don't, don't work. work. Yeah. And Remember, it, walls. Oh, yeah. Joe Biden's got a wall in his beach house, by the way. Yeah, and he does. And by the way, uh, there are a lot of other walls. Nancy Pelosi has a wall also. And if she didn't have a wall, of course, it didn't work that well but with yeah. respect to the husband. But, you know, <laughs> generally speaking, it would work. <laughs> Would you consider? <laughs> oh, that's just so funny. He's such a. <laughs> no wonder the left hates him. He just crystallizes the truth in every statement. <laughs> it's absolutely insane. Then you got weirdos like Klaus Schwab relishes the thought of living in a future without need for elections because the results will be predicted. And it was it was Hillary Clinton that was basically talking about Trump Trump uh, supporters, you know, basically being um fascists and and wanting to, they'll, they'll ban ele- next thing you know, they'll ban elections. Well, this is uh Klaus Schwab. One the technology now is and uh, digital technologies mainly have an analytical power. Now we go into a predictive power, and we have seen the first examples, and your company very much involved into it. But then the next step could be in, to go into a prescriptive uh, mode, which means um, uh, you you do not even have to have elections anymore because you can already uh, predict what uh, predict, and afterwards you can say, why do we need elections? Because we know what the result will be. The technology. We know what the result will be. Why even have elections? Well, I got news for you, Joker. Uh, there's a reason why, you know, uh, wrestlers do it on the mat because the rankings aren't always right. Uh, over the weekend, there's a, some really key matches, and you get a kid named uh, Blaze that. Uh, beat uh, the returning national champ, or no, the returning runner-up, NCAA uh, ranked number one, uh, and he comes out of high school in an open tournament and wins, beats the guy that's ranked number one in college wrestling. And then on another uh, example, Cornell's kid, Aruja, uh, loses to a freshman from Lehigh, in uh, an open tournament. And um, it was amazing because, and this is all over the weekend, but um, Aruja was not only, not only is he the reigning world champ, he won the world championship at the senior level in, in freestyle wrestling. And he's also the returning NCAA champ who he beat Roman Bravo Young from Penn State to win that title. And he was the outstanding wrestler of the, and he loses to a freshman, a redshirt freshman. It's pretty amazing. So yeah, um, everybody thought Trump was going to lose. All the algorithms would have said, no need for an election. 
Hillary Clintinger, man. And uh, and sure enough, I'm Trump won, and Trump will win again. So um, this person's uh, over in England, Jim Ferguson. Sw- he talk- talks about Suela Braverman. Police must be even-handed with protests. They won't be. We saw what they did to people during lockdown. They will, however, be extremely even-handed with Palestinian and Hamas supporters. They will, however, crack down hard on veterans. So the UK. Basically, this was a story out of the uh, the Times of UK, and you know, I guess the um, I, I guess the uh, situation is the same over in UK or anywhere else. There happens to be a globalist presence, a Klaus Schwab presence, right? So that's kind of the the, the problem there. All right, um, we got a couple of more um, audio clips that we want to get to, and uh, I want to I want to get to this one. I want to talk about this wokeism, uh, and this is Senator Senator Ted Cruz. So you had an interview with Maria Bartiromo over the weekend, and I got to tell you this this book sounds great. I believe one thousand percent what Ted Cruz, what you're about to hear, Ted Cruz say about the description of his book and why it's important. And it's about wokeism penetrating every aspect of our lives. So let's just take a listen, and I think, uh, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Out. It, the, the book explains how all of the major institutions in America have been seized by the radical left. It starts with universities. Universities, I call universities the Wuhan lab of the woke virus. It's where the virus was created. It's where it mutated. It's where it spread. Each chapter of the book goes to a different institution. So it goes goes from universities to K-12 education. And from there to journalism. And from there to government. And from there to big business. From there to big tech. From there to entertainment, to Hollywood, movies, TV, music, sports. From there to science and the corruption and politicization of science. And then it ends, as you note, with China. And China is a central nexus intertwined with all of this. And what this book lays out is it, number one, explains how and why the radical left sees these institutions. I think a lot of Americans are wondering... How the heck did this happen? This is what the book explains. They did it from inside. But then critically, the book does exactly what you asked, Maria. In each chapter, it ends with how we fight back, and it lays out specific strategies for how to take the institutions back. So, for example, K-12 education. K-12 education, I talk about the corruption that we're seeing in our public schools, but I also talk about what happened in Loudoun County, Virginia. Yeah where a teenage girl tragically was sexually assaulted by a boy wearing a skirt in the girls' restroom. The school covered it up. They denied it happened. And in fact, they arrested the father of, mm. of the victim, yeah. not the predator. But, but that sparked, as you know, moms across Virginia getting furious and, and not only winning school board elections. I'm, making, I'm endorsing yeah. in school board elections all across Texas. And parents are taking school boards back. 
because what we need is transparency. Mm. We need sunlight and then we need action. And so that's one of the strategies in terms of taking K through 12 back. Senator, this war on Israel has sparked outrage as well as um, anti-Semitism across our country. I want to get your reaction to this. This is the New York City Police Department. You are unlawfully in the roadway and obstructing vehicular traffic. What an incredible development across America. We understand TikTok is part of the issue. Uh, And of course, uh, Jews everywhere are afraid for their lives once again. Senator, how would you assess the White House's response and what can you do about it as an elected official? Well, listen, unfortunately, the White House's response has has been terrible. At every stage, the White House and the State Department have been undermining Israel. They have been urging Israel literally from within minutes of when this horrific attack began on October 7th. The Biden White House has been telling Israel, do not retaliate, cease fire, stop, do not kill the terrorists. You know, this whole conflict in in the Middle East is just um, a quagmire of misinformation and there's no no one knows the truth as to the instigator and the you know who the who the white hats and bad and black hats are there's a lot more to that story and i think it stems in part from the politics inside israel itself and how some of the radical left wing factions of the political uh structures of Israel um, sided with a two-state solution and uh, embraced Hamas as the catalyst to push that agenda. And although there are many that support a two-state solution, uh, most would agree that it should never include Hamas or any other terrorist group. It's got to be a peaceful group. And you know, that's why, again, Trump was a rock star with regard to the Abraham Accords and Pompeo and uh, Justin, J- Jerry Kushner um, put together uh, a deal that uh, was being embraced by the Arab nations to normalize relations with Israel because the Palestinian Authority refused to come to the table and talk peacefully. And so the longer they waited, the worse it got for them. And that was the beauty of Trump's strategy. He's like, he asked them to the table, went to Riyadh and gave his first foreign policy speech. Trump did. And it was great, calling for peace. And the Palestinians were asked to come to the table and talk about a deal. And they said no. They were being unrealistic. And so Trump said, okay. And while you're at it, while you're waiting outside of the boardroom to talk, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, green light development in uh, Israeli development in Gaza and West Bank. And the longer you wait, the, the worse it's going to get for you, Palestine. So don't be so stupid. But they were stupid. And they waited and they waited and they lost And they lost so much that finally they waited so long that their Arab partners, whether it's UAE, uh, Oman, uh, Qatar, uh, or even Saudi Arabia, they were 
um, all saying, we can't wait you out. Uh, we need to normalize relations. There's a lot of money, especially with America being energy independent. So long as America is energy independent, we are hurting financially. Iran was hurting financially. Saudi Arabia was not pro- not winning in that battle. And therefore, um, in that in that agreement with American energy independence. And so they were like, let's normalize relations and send pipelines up in there and, and uh, do business and trade, and let's normalize relations with Israel. And that's what was being done under the Trump years. It all unraveled. As soon as you unfreeze $6 billion and allow Iran to finance terror, uh, just like Obama did, and overthrowing Gaddafi and overthrowing Egypt's Mubarak and um, exploiting ISIS, paying them off as mercenary groups to uh, run oil pipelines and protect the oil pipelines and oil wells in Iraq. I mean, all shady business, all corrupt as can possibly be. And this was the Obama and Biden agenda. And why? I have no idea. I can't get my head around it. It doesn't make any sense except for black market profiteering and the politicians that want to get rich quick on these shady black market deals that only they fully know about. All right, so we got a courtroom uh, agenda going on here uh, today in New York. Let's listen to uh, Lena Haba. Uh, talking about this kangaroo court and what's going on inside. Now, this is from last week. Um, Now we know that she's going to pursue, she was on Maria yesterday, and she um, basically said she's going to file for a mistrial, but she's under a gag order and can't speak much because they got her gagged. But here's just a little bit of detail, give you some insight on what's going on inside the courtroom off my client because he was giving tremendously accurate and good testimony that explained why their case is a complete and utter sham. And every time he would go into explaining how real estate actually operates and how banks operate that are sophisticated, that haven't been hurt, how much money they made off of the president, off of the loans he took and paid off. Every time that happened, the judge would get upset and would try and cut him off. And I frankly had enough of it. And uh, myself and my colleagues stood up and said, you cannot continue to cut my client off. And I, I jumped up at the end and said, I'm not going to stand for this. You keep disrupting him and you have to hear what he has to say. His response was, I don't and I'm not here to hear what he has to say. And I think that says it all. Um, it's exactly what we thought. The man you know, found us liable before we even walked in the courtroom through a motion for summary judgment, before we even had an opportunity to have a witness on the stand or have him listen to our experts. Instead, he thinks Mar-a-Lago is worth $18 million, and this is the corruption in the situation that we're dealing with currently today because he's there to make people like Letitia James and the far left happy not to do his job in an impartial way, and it's really problematic. It's really problematic. And as you could see, I was fired up. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's interesting because, you know, Mar-a-Lago, I uh, was there a couple of weeks ago and, oh, my God, is it worth so much more than 18 million? Any any it's just so corrupt what the judge is doing. Right. Um, all right. So we have this uh, fascinating interview from Donald Trump 
uh, that we're going to play tomorrow, actually. Um, it's, uh, it's with Roger Ailes and Donald Trump in 1995. I just realized I was going to play it today, uh, and then I just realized that we only have about two minutes, and it's four minutes long, so I, I can't do that one. Um, I am going to play this. This is a woman. I wanted to play this all last week, but uh, this is a, an older woman. And this is from an older time. This is like maybe from the 70s. It says, there was no such thing in this area as Jews and Palestinians and Arabs. There were only Jews and Arabs. So it's kind of an interesting little take from someone who's lived through yeah. the period. I'm a Palestinian. From 21 until 48, I carried a Palestinian passport. From 21 to 48, so you get an idea how old this footage is, right? Or this audio. So let's take a listen. From 21 until 48, I carried a Palestinian passport. There was no such thing in this area as Jews and Arabs and Palestinians. There were Jews and Arabs. Don't you say, I mean, you deny that there was a Palestine Arab people before, but... There is now a Palestine liberation movement. The history of liberation movements are that they grow. Won't this one grow and become, in end, in fact, your biggest enemy? I don't say there are no Palestinians, but I say there is no such thing as a distinct Palestinian people of all the Palestinians who live in Jordan. Why have the Palestinians in the West Bank become more Palestinians since the 5th of June 67 than they were before? Why didn't they set up a Palestinian uh, country in addition to Jordan? Supposing you're... Uh, I'm a Palestinian. That's a good question. You know, you look at the Arab, uh, the acreage, uh, you know, the landmass of the Arab nations, and then you look at this little red dot, it's Israel. It's kind of interesting. You know, what are they complaining about? They got all the land. Um, I don't know. It's uh, It's a... It's a very perplexing conflict that I think we need to stay out of, um, frankly, and let them sort it out. It's their problem. Let them fix it. Well, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out org to find out how we're advancing America First policies to make America great again. This show is part of it. We like to keep this show commercial-free. We depend on your donations over at magapack.org. Make a donation over there, and it helps us really not have to run ads here. So that's uh, the way we're, we're doing that. And then um, also, if you go to mypillow.com, use Red State as your promo code. And with that, we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, buddy. We're stand the mounds getting steeper. And grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there